Welcome to Market Mentors, a podcast for the marketing leaders of today and tomorrow. I'm Fiona Jensen, a director and co-owner of Market Recruitment. For over a decade, I've been helping B2B marketeers find the best jobs with great companies. Together, we'll discover how marketing experts reach the top and learn from their experience. Ask career-related questions you can't get answers to elsewhere. Be tough, be challenged, be mentored. If you are a B2B marketer, the likelihood is that you will know B2B marketing and its editor-at-large, Joel Harrison. We are delighted that Joel took some time out of his schedule to chat to us for Market Mentors and are excited to bring you the story behind Joel, how he got to where he is and why he's so passionate about B2B marketing and the industry as a whole. I'm here with the lovely Joel Harrison of B2B Marketing Magazine. Thanks ever so much for having us in. You're absolutely welcome. It's de- I'm delighted to be involved. Why don't we start off with a little bit of uh, information around what you tend to look for when you're interviewing candidates. What sort of key things do you look for when it comes to marketers for B2B marketing? Well, for, for our own marketers, I think we're looking for... I don't think we're looking for anything revolutionary. We're looking for people who are engaging, who have got inquiring minds who are good at communicating, um, you know, who've got, and who've got a reasonably good background in, in lots of in, in, in relati- in related things. I mean, that's, that doesn't sound particularly earth-shattering or surprising. I think sometimes we quite like, we've got a, a track record of having successful people who've often had um, different careers, who haven't maybe come straight into marketing. Well, you know, our two current marketers, people who've got marketing in their job title, one is, um, was a dancer, once. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Um, and he didn't, he didn't come straight from dancing to work for us, but uh, mm-hmm. that's what he did, that's what Jason did. Um, and then Adam worked as a salesperson as well. So, um, and I think, you know, the, the sales and marketing alignment, that, that, uh, that ability to understand what goes on in sales is, is quite important. Um, so, um, so, yeah, those are the kind of things that we, we typically look for. Mm. So the commercial marketing people the brain that understands that if we do this then there should be an outcome and yeah. if so it can be measured like this yeah that they i mean they need to be able to show that, you know exactly that that the ability to understand that fairly fundamental concept that they're trying to ultimately create value for the organization um and we have to have uh, confidence in them that they can manage projects and use technology so um but you know you apply that actually and most of those things apply could apply many of the other roles in the business as mm. well. It's almost it's a it's a it's, it's a why do you want to be in marketing? Sometimes is the, is the conversation. What is it that's different about marketing? Because content and marketing are so closely aligned. You know that our, our latest recruit in the content team is probably more a marketing person, but they they are like embedded in the content team to allow the content team to have more insights into what they're producing, what's working, what they, how they can make it better, that kind of stuff. But they but but we specifically went out and looked for someone who's got more of a marketing brain. So, you know, I mean, we said, mentioned this earlier on, what is marketing anymore? It's a, it's a very, it's a dif- more difficult to define, but I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I quite like the fact that it's getting blurry and uh, sort of the edges are smudging a bit. Yeah. Uh, marketing sometimes is almost like the visionary within a company now. They're sort of the blue sky thinkers. But it certainly should be. And that's, and that's a, I think that's slightly different in some ways to who we're looking for probably in our organisation. I mean, you know, just back to your point again, you know, what's perhaps um, uh, the difference in terms of what you might be looking for now from a skill set for marketers for a, for a relatively small company 
um, might be different from years ago. Um, and you know, whereas marketing was a kind of creative, this creative discipline, it's not that in a in a purest sense anymore. Although there are still things that apply. But yeah, at a larger organisation, from a kind of a, a marketing leader perspective, a CMO or a marketing director, absolutely visionary marketing. I have passionately believe that marketing should be leading the way forward for the business, because who else is going to do it? You know, the other 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 um, other units are other business functions are more self-centered than marketing is less holistic in their in, in their perspective um, sales will claim they've got a wonderful view of the customer they've got a wonderful view of the, their immediate customer that's yeah. all they don't see the bigger picture HR looks internally um, IT um, <laughs> so uh, who knows yeah exactly who knows what they see <laughs> sorry so, there's some amazing IT people out there I'm sure <laughs> there, there are and, 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 um, and many of them and, and they perform a functional a fantastic role for the organisation but it's marketing is in the box seat in terms of being open to the world bringing new things in but more crucially understanding the customer and, and, and engaging with them and predicting what they want in the future not just what we can sell them now Lovely. Perfect answer, I think. Thank you. Um, so how has marketing changed since you started out in your career when it was black and white days? Was oh, it, my John? God. Yeah, yes, it was, <laughs> it was Semaphore and Smoke Signals. I only say that because I feel like I was there with you. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you talk about... There's a, there's a long answer to this question. There's an even longer answer to this question. Um, Give me the long one. Well, so... Um, my first job in the 90s, one was editing a new, for a newsletter company, and I had two, two of the newsletters under my responsibility. Was One was called Financial IT. Back in those days, it was the most boring area under the sun. Now, mm-hmm. fintech is the hottest thing in the world. That, so that's all changed, um, and the role of technology there is important. I also edited a publication called Financial Marketing, and it was about advertising and, and direct marketing, and that was about it, really. Um, and, and I didn't have very much insight about what it but what it was, that was the sense I got of it. Um, and then I moved on to edit a publication called Incentive Today, which is about promotional marketing and motivational marketing. And it was about selling things in supermarkets. And again, you know, direct marketing seemed like the, the kind of rarefied high, high strategic ground because promotional marketing was all around um, doing deals. It was quite Dell Boyish. Mm-hmm. And agencies were all about which product can we fit with which product or which supermarket. And, and so then moving into... Founding B2B Marketing in the early noughties in 2004, but having been talking about it for about three or four years before then with my business partner, you know, we then opened up a whole world of... of it was such a welcome relief from the, the, this kind of facile consumer world which I've been operating in, whereby there's this depth of understanding. But it was a very... But in terms of back to your original question, in terms of, it was a very staid industry. It was um, slower-paced, much slower-paced... Um, the, the, you know, the challenge was the data. Um, the, the, it was it was seen as such a poor relation B two B, and and it was this often it was this kind of um, place where people who were creative in inverted commas would kind of go and hide for a career. You know, it was a load of fluff. You know, the Mad Men thing about people going out for long lunches and having martini bars in their offices. Well, that wasn't quite true. But you know, I as a journalist used to go out for quite a lot of lunches and not come back. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just this, and I know that happened in marketing as well because my business partner and some of, I met some of his colleagues from publishing, a different type of publishing, they described that as well. So I think what's, one of the things that's changed is it's become a lot leaner, a lot more focused, a lot more responsive, a lot more um, insightful and, and, and delivering on, on what the business really needs. A lot of the fluff and the puff and the, and the 
the flabbiness has gone around it. That makes it a harder place to work. It's, it, it's, there's no gravy trains anymore in marketing, and there used to be a lot. Um, but I, I think it, what it does mean is that the, that the rest of the business has to take marketing much more seriously. Um, and I don't know whether it's push or pull, whether they were demanding to be taken seriously, therefore marketing steps up, um, or marketing pushed. I think that 2008 had a really big impact on that, certainly in the UK, because it, you had this twin things. You had the credit crunch happening one level where by people marketing budgets were being slashed to the core and then you had marketing automation the other happening at the same time and people being able to do volume marketing at scale which was unprecedented before and the fact that your database wasn't up to date was less of an issue than it had been before <laughs> but now we've gone full circle again and now we're back into the qualitative world maybe we can talk about it a bit later on so it is un- almost unrecognisable but in a really good way I see. Well, there you go. That was like a brief history of B2B marketing for you. <laughs> yeah. I forgive me for being a bit of self-indulgent at the beginning, but... Um, no, yeah, that's what we're here for. We want to hear the job story, not the, <laughs> not the staid one, not the, you know, sort of super professional one or the Joel in B2B event mode. We no. The real person behind it and the reason why you guys pump out such good content, I think, is because doesn't marketing run in the blood? Yeah, it does. That's right. Yeah. My, so my dad was in direct marketing um, in the uh, in the seventies and eighties and nineties, um, and he worked for people like Wonderman, Leo Burnett, RSCG, um, lots of lots of people like that. And so and so I was vague, always vaguely aware of this thing called marketing. Um, and and then actually, both my brothers work in it as well. I've got one brother who works for an agency, a B two B agency. Another one who works in kind of UX, um, CX for a major event company. Um, so he goes around the world building platforms to, for massive B2B exhibitions mostly. So yeah, it is in the blood, kind of by accident really, I suppose. But, well, um, there's no escape, not sure. No, no, unfortunately. <laughs> that, Christmas, that Christmas dinner must uh, get heated on occasion? Or? It doesn't get heated. I think we're all inter- interested in each other's jobs, yeah. you know. Um, I think I think it's it's interesting to understand what people are thinking and doing. Um, uh, it only gets interesting when my my second cousin gets involved because he's a technologist and thinks marketing is all nonsense. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I can imagine that's an interesting conversation. Yeah. So, what is the most valuable marketing skill you can have? I think from a kind of um, less a skill, more an, more an attribute. I think empathy is the mm. key one because it all comes down to underst- to having a feeling for what your customer actually wants. And if you can't empathise with them, if you can't sit, can't understand what's going on with them, and you can't appreciate what makes how it makes them feel, you're not going to be a very good marketer, I think. Unless you're just someone someone who's doing you know a technologist embedded in a marketing team, I think empathy is critical, and I think it's more critical now than ever. I think emotion, you know, back in the back in the old days when it was about advertising and direct marketing, um, you know, emotion was around how you was around in the communication, but it was quite disconnected. Having to Having to, to impart digital communications with emotion and to elicit emotional responses is, is, is absolutely critical. And understanding what you're trying to do as well, the, when you've not got the... You, if you're talking about a marketer inside a, a medium or a large organisation, the old days you might have had a creative director to hold you, hold you by the hand to lead you through that. You might not have that these days. You might, you, you might in fact, you're more, more likely not to. You'll be running most of the campaigns yourself. So... That insight, that feeling for the customer is is critical, but in terms of an actual skill, I think your ability to communicate is critical because 
and, and, and that sounds totally facile because marketing is all about communication. But actually, it's more around your ability to communicate with your stakeholders and your colleagues and your and and, the, and your contemporaries in your organisation and with sales particularly. They're a very hard audience to communicate with because they often only hear what they want to hear. So, um, so that internal communications piece is, is is absolutely critical. Very good. Yeah, I think a, a lot of uh, senior leaders would agree with you there. Actually, that you know it, it is challenging because. As you already um, touched on, the stakeholders within a business often have very different viewpoints yeah. or experiences or priorities to marketing. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, being able to firstly empathise with those even to mm-hmm. understand what their priorities are and why they care about that yeah. and then to help get your marketing message across in a better frame of mind. Yeah, that's really yeah. good actually. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's really fundamental. So what advice would you give to ambitious marketers looking to get to the next level when they haven't operated at that level before? Well, it kind of dovetails actually my last answer. I've perhaps teased this a bit, but I think it's about, um, it's about, it's about understanding the, the, the group that you're going to be engaging with when you're getting to the next level. Because as you rise internally. up the ladder... Internally, yeah. Mm. As you rise up the ladder, you become exposed and, and, and required to connect with and, and influence, engage with, coerce, convince different types of people... Um, who don't? Who and, and you move out of a kind of a, the marketing bubble that you might you might be in. And I th- I'm sure that people get exposed to other stakeholders to a lesser extent as you uh, earlier on in your career. But as you get to the top, it's becoming increasingly it becomes increasingly front of mind, and th- and they become your peer group. If you as you get to the ultimate the CMO or the marketing director role, it's, that's your peer group. So you need to re- be able to relate to them and convince them why what you're doing is important and, and how and why your insights are going to drive the business forward. And, and, and they've got their own agendas and priorities and they may not listen to you. So that ability to understand um, that, that stakeholder group is, is, is really important. Very good. What's the most valuable lesson you've learnt in marketing or business and how did it come about? Um, so I think the most powerful lesson I've learned is there wasn't a, a, certainly a single instance. I think it's actually the power of your personal brand because I think particularly uh, in the UK we're quite um, we're not very ostentatious you know being selling unless you're a salesman and sometimes even then is often not the done thing and so to overly promote yourself can be uh, seen as a bit uh, a bit gauche I think what I've learned from this is that uh, from from this role at B2B marketing is that the more I can do this, the more effective I can be in, in building my personal brand and, and and leveraging that for the good of the company, the more the more the company benefits. Um, and I, but I think that and and we're okay. So we're we're a media organisation. We're an information provider. We're not. The, I'm not the same as a as a marketer in an organisation. But I do think the same applies. Uh, your your you know your personal brand, your level of connections, your um, your 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 network, um, your your cachet, all of those things carry weight um, and and will help you in your in in seeking to go on your journey and further your career and, and be successful and, and make and make your organisation more successful. So so you know it's about being outward looking. It's about putting yourself outside your comfort zone um, and 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 connecting with people as much as possible. And you know, and sometimes the balance is being knowing when to be open and knowing when to be closed. Mm. Because you've been exploring more around the US market, haven't you? Is, yeah. Have you got any more insight into, you know, what, what's the major differences? What can we learn from our American cousins? Well, Is God, there anything else that we should be doing? I mean, hundreds of things. I mean, some of the things that they, 
the norms over there are not directly applicable over mm. here. But um, you know, it's, culture, it's because of culture. Yeah, or? because of culture, just because of ways of doing things, expectations. I mean, you know, the the you know, you, we're talking about kind of self promotion. I mean, um, in the states, you kind of gravitate towards um, kind of overstatement, whereas over here we gravitate towards understatement. And I guess probably what I was saying in the first part is we probably we need to kind of stop doing that a bit, really. Um, but I don't think we'll ever be we'll ever be like the Americans are. I think that and that it's. I love going over there because it's just, you kind of, I feel like I leave my London face at the airport and you have to kind of become a slightly new person to be there, much more enthusiastic, positive, and, 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 that's, and that's amazing. But just more generally, when you go to the States and you see, it's not one market, it's a series of markets, particularly in B2B. You know, I've just spent a week in San Francisco and it was an extraordinary week and I learned so much and absorbed so much about Mart, the MarTech scene over there. And that it's so far advanced from where we are here. Although there's some great things happening over here, you know we're much more aligned to probably some of the east, more easterly or midwest cities, where technology is coming, but it's taking longer to arrive. And um, so, yeah, it's a fascinating place to learn from. But I think I digress from your original question. No, no, quite that's a lot. fine. Sorry, I, I, that I went off on a little rabbit no. warren down in the state side because uh, we didn't talk about that. No. no. <laughs> Um, what past failure or uncomfortable experience set you up for success at a later date? Well, I think that in terms of the, just again, to, to kind of build on the answer to the previous question, I think that in terms of an uncomfortable experience, public speaking, mm. um, there was a point in our business very early on. So, so my, in, my, in this company, so my business partner, James, is, uh, is, a, is a, an extrovert. You might even say show off, but I, was, I didn't <laughs> say that. But when it comes to public speaking, he very quickly identified he didn't want to do it. He couldn't oh, do right. it. All right. Um, so that's sort of unexpected. You kind of think that they would, you know, if they are gregarious or extrovert, that they would enjoy that platform. You, yeah, you would. You might think that, um, but it's not for everybody. So, no. um, but I, but it came quite apparent to me quite early on that that um, we needed to have somebody in the business who, who was comfortable, was a, not just able, but also comfortable getting up and talk in front of speaking to people. And this is something I'd never had any aspirations mm. to do. But then there's so many things running your own business that you never have any aspirations to do, and you do them, and you realise yeah. actually they're quite interesting. Um, <laughs> or so, you know, really hard and actually yeah. not your favourite job. But yeah. there we go. But you have, but you have to <laughs> yeah. struggle to do it or find another way to do yeah. them. But the public speaking bit um, was really painful at first, mm. um, but it, it has paid back immeasurably. Um, not just in terms of. I mean, you know, it's, it's great when you can stand on stage and be comfortable and you can make somebody laugh. Um, and, but, but more importantly, when you can, somebody can go, can go, oh, I buy into you, I see what you're saying, um, I think you're talking sense, I, I value your input, I, I want to know more from you. That's a tremendously valuable thing. Um, and then all of the attribute, all of the things that come off that, you know, um, if you don't have somebody in your organisation um, who is in that position to do that, and perhaps in your business function, it's... it's it's, again, it's difficult in terms of communication. And again, I just I hark back to my experience in the States recently because it was, I, I went to two technology companies, user conferences, and it, what was so apparent is that to not, to not be able to stand on stage in front of a thousand people is just not an option. Mm. It's not. So, so that's, that is absolutely a core, core skill set of a, of a um, high-flying executive you know, both in, in, in marketing, in sales, and in general general government governance of the company. So I think we can, we can expect more of that over here. 
So how, how did you get good at it, Joel? Was it just literally practice or did you go to Toastmasters or any... What, Exposure how? therapy, bashing my head against the brick wall <laughs> um, repeatedly. I, I, I think it... I can see the marks, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah That's I, quite a few. The bruise is taking a while to heal. Um, I mean, we were lucky in that we had, a, we used to run a series of um, smaller events. So um, for kind of about 100, 150 people, um, both debates and discussions and also seminars. So I had the platform to be able to get used to standing in front mm. of people and introducing. And then, but in, that wasn't, so that's the, that's the comfort zone. And then actually presenting, again, it was about, I, 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 I still mean to actually do some proper training because I'm sure there's lots more I can learn. And I saw somebody great in California, who, who, um, an Irish guy who's hilarious, who I'd love to learn from. But it's mostly just about trial and error. And, and, and that's one of the things in life is that you can't, you know, you're never going to be good at this first time. Um, and actually, every time I've ever presented, I've always come off and gone, I wish I'd done that differently. And that could be th- that slide. It could be how I delivered that part. It could be how... I'm off, most often, it's that I'm just speaking too bloody fast. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm, people just... I get so excited on stage that I, and um, the adrenaline flows and I wind up speaking faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. So... So, yeah, back to your question, it was just about practice. And I think that you, I don't think there's any substitute for that. Very good. Um, what do you listen to when you need to focus? Uh, I have a few playlists on Spotify that I listen to. Um, one is um, Alternative Psychedelia, of all things. No way! Yeah. I was sort of expecting Classic FM or. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm really, I'm not, I'm not really, um, I'm, I'm quite kind of. I quite kind of stayed in my taste. I'm kind of that indie end of the spectrum of music. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a great playlist on Spotify called Alternative, in, called um, Modern Psychedelia, which is uh, interesting, quirky takes on uh, some you know kind of current artists doing interesting stuff. Which I think it's interesting anyway. Um, I quite like um, Brian Eno's got a kind of a new ambient album he released last year called Reflections, which is just, basically just sounds like someone rustling in a room and there's no apparent structure to it but it's very calming oh, so interesting. I, I'd, I'd recommend very zen that. I can very, see you in, in your garden very zen exactly yeah. <laughs> do you do yoga as well I do a bit of yoga yeah oh, but I'm not very good at it I'm, I'm hideously inflexible so it just becomes quite embarrassing with the teachers <laughs> going uh, oh Joe, you might want to sit this one out <laughs> don't attempt this one no um, how important is it to have a marketing mentor and why I don't, I don't say it's necessarily important to have a marketing mentor. I think it's important to have a mentor. Mm. I think whatever career you're in, it's, it, it, it's important to have somebody who can help you see outside of where you are at the moment and give you an outlet to talk about your challenges that is about you rather than, about, rather than you in the context of the business. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important, um, and, I, and I would urge anybody to, to, to do it, whether it's for a short period or a longer period. Um, yeah, it's, it's very important. Mm, that sounding board. Yeah, it's a sounding board and someone who can perhaps see the wood from the trees a little bit. Um, because we're all busy. We're all, everyone's got priorities and things going on and sometimes they can't necessarily understand what's, what's going on. But someone who's experienced it, uh, having that kind of conversation is invaluable, I think. Mm. Gender pay gap um, and the percentage of male versus female leadership roles, do you think this challenge needs addressing in our industry? And if so, how? Well, I don't know what your perspective on this is, but, but you, may, you may be more conscious of this than I am. And I, my perspective is that it, we've actually got one of the most 
kind of gender balanced industries in anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps in the UK, perhaps in, in marketing, in, in the side of marketing. I mean, there seems to be it seems to be extremely inclusive um, and 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 very very mixed. Um, I don't I don't honestly know the figures about um, pay differences down the uh, different echelons, um, but it's interesting that. Some of the most senior marketers I know are, are women are looking for very large organisations. So, for example, we just had Alison Orsi speaking at our, um, at our conference last week. Um, oh, to be a fly on the wall, I would love to have seen her in action. She's, she's a fantastic speaker and she's very candid about the challenges they've had there. On our customer board, we have uh, Annabelle Rape from Deloitte. Uh, we have Kat Dutton from Atos. We have Antonia Wade, who's just gone to Capita. Um, and we have Gemma um, Davis from ServiceNow. And we also have four blokes as well, you know, and not to make sound like to, to denigrate <laughs> them. Just women, yeah. <laughs> but but it's important. It's important to have a sense of balance that you know those four women contribute. I would say possibly on balance slightly more than the men do. Mm. Um, I, I value their input extraordinarily. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to sit and say it's not a problem. I think it's less of a problem here than it is elsewhere. I don't think that I'm um, as a as a classically entitled a middle-aged ma- middle-aged white man. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not the best person to ask about whether it's a problem or not. What do you think? Do you think it's a problem? I don't know whether it's as much of a problem as it was before. Mm. Certainly, I agree with you. There's an awful lot more women in marketing leadership roles compared to other industries. Yeah. Certainly, so I would say that marketing is probably less affected by that. Yeah. But um, you know, we do an annual salary survey, mm-hmm. and I reckon that there is definitely, even at the top, um, a, a definite percentage less on mm. the female side, pay mm. structure-wise. Okay. So I think there might be more women out there but I still think that there is that payment issue but I think that's aligned with the um, the the family the leaving work for a period of time and I think that is what affects it so whether it's value of the marketer that's at question versus the you know being out of work and coming back into work on a part-time basis that actually skews the percentage figures in marketing I don't know actually one of our members um, is a senior marketer at a professional services firm and she talked very passionately last year at our Ignite event uh, Lucy Steers about um, about her experiences coming back from maternity leave and how 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 she found that and how the company supported her and and what and how it the journey that she went on as a um, as a person in that and um, and I, I, I think that kind of testimonies uh, and candidness is invaluable. It's aspirational and it's, and it's kind of, um, uh, it's motivational, you know, to, to hear somebody talk about that, but also, and, and the challenge that she's been through, but she's, um, her determination to, to be back, be important, pick up the role and move on with it is, is, is fantastic. Mm. Well, that's the thing, you know, some people come back with a different expectation and, and value in life and others are like, no, I still want my career and I want to move forward with it. Yeah. So it's, I don't think there's a one, one brush stroke no, to fix no, it. And, 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 that's, and that's a challenge for both the individual and the organisation yeah. as well, to be able to cater for both scenarios. Mm. I mean, my wife's a teacher, she's just come back into a role. She moved down a grade voluntarily when uh, she was when she went off on maternity leave. She's been back, and they've subsequently created a new job for her because they recognise that she's not really that she's they're not really making best use of her. Mm. That's an example of good management mm. um, because they don't want to lose her, her talent. Yeah, well, perfect example, and let's hope that happens more often in yes. the future. What skills do you think marketers should be investing in for the future? 
I think it has to be around technology. Mm. That's where everything is. Everything seems to be going. So you're talking automation or the stack? It, it depends. Um, AI. <laughs> it, I don't. I don't think marketers in a, in a for AI is a, is an interesting one itself. Mm. I don't think marketers need to know a whole amount of AI because it's just a component piece of, the, yeah. of, of technology, and they'll mm. use it. They won't use it. We're getting to the point now where the vendors have gone and gone. Okay, that that you know, it's an, a badge that they slap onto something, and often allegedly it's not even true in some instances. Mm. So AI wouldn't be bothering with. Um, I think it's 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 less. It's probably just an all-round sense of comfort and knowledge around what uh, what technology is, what it can do, how it fits into your workflow, and an ability to have a conversation to be, to be able to be engaged in a dialogue around what technology you need. Because it's only going to grow and grow and grow, and, and what you don't—the last thing you want to do is to be backfooted by somebody who pretends to know more than you about uh, how what technology you you need and how you should use it. You want to you need to be empowered to be able to make that decision and not and, and in an authoritative way, or to be able to push back against people like vendors or analysts or agencies. Dare I say, who are uh, suggesting things that you shouldn't do. I mean, we had um, one of our keynotes at it Get Stacked last week was a lady called Maureen Blanford, who is um, one of the best people in B2B marketing. She was very well received, wasn't she? she I was. saw the bit of a Twitter storm after her keynote. She, she um, one of her kind of, the crux of her point was, we're all being shamed by MarTech companies. Oh, if only marketers knew about data. And she was, and her point was, what the effing F are they talking about if they had any idea of what most of us do on a daily basis and the complexities of running our job it is um, you know we need to get over we need to they need to stop shame trying to shame people and we need to get over the fact that we don't live in a perfect world and I took that to mean that um, you know if when we you're going to come on to this later I know you are but um, we we are all as marketers we look at advertising and I still do every day I look at it and go oh, why isn't my life like that? And then I go, oh, yeah, because it's advertising. Mm-hmm. It's not bloody true. It does, it's a fantasy world they've created. And the same is true at MarTech Marketing. They present a fantasy vision of, what you, of where, you, where you might be, what you could be doing, how wonderful it would be if only you implemented their system. And it's not true. Mm. That's not to say you can't derive value from these platforms. Absolutely you can. But the fantasy they present is, not, is, is, is just that, a fantasy. Perfect. And that was that was our conversation around how hard it is to market to B2B marketers professionally yeah. and correctly and yeah. to really understand and appreciate their value because they can see you coming. If they're like Maureen, they'll see you coming a million miles away and they won't let you in. They, they won't even consider you. They can. They can. I, I guess... Um, and I think that's... We don't get a lot of that cynicism. Mm. Um you know our our positioning is as a resource, but actually in many ways we are seeking to be an R, a community. And I think that um, because we have a lot of touch points, people hopefully have a sense of value from us before they start. Although I do still have people who who most people I engage with in the market are so open, engaged, friendly, um, and and really want to be involved and they understand the the value of a two-way engagement and they you know they want to come to a round table or or speak at an event or just have a conversation and and share and share notes and and that's wonderful and it's a for me that's one of the best things about this industry 
Um, with social technological changes set to continue apace, what do you think an aspiring marketer should be learning now to be in the best position possible to add value to business in five or ten years' time? I think I might know the answer to that. I one. think it's, I think it's about the yeah. technology piece, but um, but it doesn't. It means you shouldn't. You know, the, the whole the, the game is changing and it's moving on consistently. The, the key thing is to be open and. Um, but, but also to not forget the fundamentals. The fundamentals are still the same. It's about communicating a message to an audience and making that audience understand it. So you, you can't just say, forget it, those things weren't relevant. It, it's, a, it's an iteration of the classic marketing challenges for today's world and an understanding of what it's going to be like in the future. I think that the, the, the difference now between versus five years ago or ten years ago is that we could have an expectation that if we learn skills now, they'll be valid for the next ten years. That's not the case anymore. The skills that we learn now, may, you may have to change two or three times in terms of just even just staying at the same level in that period because the, 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 how, how those roles are understood and are iterated within the, within the business will, are, are very likely to change. Mm. And on, on that uh, sort of change perspective, there was one question that we got from the audience that I couldn't help but want to ask you. I think you, you know Dave Stevens? I do know Dave Stevens. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was kind enough and came up with a really good question, I think, for you, which was around what's your view on whether or not businesses recognise today in 2019 B2B marketing as something distinctive and apart from B2C, or are we becoming more of the same? I'd like to ask that, answer that question in a slightly different way. It's a good question from Dave. And Dave, if you're listening, thank you very much, as always. Um, <laughs> uh, are B2B companies recognising the importance of marketing more? Yes, they are. I think that's, that's unequivocal, and that's partly, there's lots of factors for that, and some of the things we, t- we touched on earlier on. Mm. Um, marketing is better equipped, better recognised, more, more agile in the broader sense of the word uh, and better aligned with what the business actually wants and needs in, in most instances. And, and the, the challenge of, of a B2B company saying, what is marketing? Well, why do I need it? Is just, it's just not there in anything like the way that it was before. That's a slightly different question to are we coming a homogenous B2B and B2C thing? Well, you know, 1,200 people turned up to our Ignite event last year who clearly don't believe that's the case. Um, in some instances, it is easier to think homogeneously. Um, you know, if you're somebody like IBM, Allison was perhaps more of the opinion there's less there are, there's a less thick black line between them. Um, you know, the thing for me is that people understand that you can have a that you can and should aspire to have a really good career in B two B marketing. You know, if you go and work for a technology company in B two B. You're most likely to go and work for another technology in B2B, um, and and that's your that's the best route to becoming having a successful career, rising up the ladder, earning more money, getting more getting more great experiences, having a bigger impact on the business than you are to go and work for an FMCG company. So I, I you know whether there, there there are there are always parallels between them. They are two sides of the same profession, um, but as long as there is something called considered purchase. B2B and B2C will always be different. There are multiple stakeholders in B2B. You know, there's the, it's the four knots, which are, it's not in my name, it's not just me making a decision, um, it's not my money, and it's not tomorrow. You know, all of these things are different in, 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 in consumer. You know, in, in the consumer, most, the most expensive thing you buy is a house or a car, and there's still only two decision makers in those things, and it's probably largely emotionally led. Whereas in B2B, their emotion is, is critical, but there are a whole 
raft of interlocking, interweaving factors, um, and and people you have to who you have to um, convince and coerce to make this decision. So very very complex. I love that answer. Thank you. Perfect. What do you do to keep up to speed with the latest B two B marketing best practices? The simple answer is not enough. Um, I, I don't think anyone can though. It's just so much. No, it's true. And I think the thing is to separate the hype from reality. And the latest best practices is I'm actually more interested in what marketers are actually doing Mm. rather than because the latest best practice could be implied to mean what technology companies have just recently dreamt up to tell you that you should be doing to shame you that you're not doing it better. And the same does apply to agencies because agencies uh, and B2B space is blessed with some fantastic agencies and a really vibrant community of agencies. But it's their job to show you all the things that you're not doing or not doing well enough. And actually, most people, um, it's about iteration of existing skill sets. It's very rarely about transformation or revolution. It's about uh, an evolution, a better rapid evolution. So, um, so yeah. There we go. What is the book you recommend the most for B2B marketers today? Well, there's loads of fantastic books out there. Um, and if you're interested in ABM, you should probably read Bev Burgess's book. But I think if you're particularly your point about moving up the kind of corporate ladder and being mm. more successful, a book that was recommended to me a couple of years ago uh, by Annabel Rake from Deloitte um, was a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And, it's, and I, I found it really fascinating. And it's trying to address the fact that you know, people get promoted to their position of, 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 of incompetence, essentially. You know, you get to, well, maybe, or, or of competence, but no further. Mm. And, um, you, and if you're going to rise up the ladder, you need to understand where your weaknesses are and address those things. And, and, um, and there's some fascinating case studies and discussions around the human behavior and, and, and how we delude ourselves about our, our competencies. And, um, you know, and I would urge you to read that. It's a very easy read. It's not a long book, um, but, it, but it, it's... I like easy reads. Me too. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, and it, and it's a, you know, are you are you really ready to do this? Well, then this is a book to read. Perfect. And then I know that you guys have got your podcast coming out as well, which is really exciting. I think the first episode dropped last week, which I thought was really good. So very exciting. So you can hear more from B two B marketing and Joel. That's very kind. It's not. It's not me on the podcast. It's no. Molly and Adam. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think they've the got the dynamic better, duo. The dynamic duo. They've got much, much better voices for radio than I have, um, <laughs> or, for, or for podcasts. Um, but but yeah, we're getting into the podcast world as well. But I'm, I'm you know I'm sure this is another one to add to your list about B two marketing. There you go. And what passing words of wisdom or advice would you share with our audience? Um, I think I'd say never stop learning, and learning in the broadest possible sense of the word be open I, and I do think that obviously I'm going to say you should be reading B2B marketing and, and downloading mm-hmm. a podcast and coming to our events um, but there are lots of other great sources of information out there as well and the key thing is to try and try and find time in your diary to to read things and to open your ideas to new, open your mind to new things and, because our industry is changing extraordinarily fast and we, you know the, the best means of being able to deal with that is being to be informed so to stay open, keep learning, um, challenge yourself. And I, th- and I think that's the, the key to a successful career. Perfect. That's lovely. Thanks ever so much for your time and for all the experience and advice you shared. Much appreciated. You're absolutely welcome. It's been delightful.
So there you have it, career advice from a real marketing expert and leader in the field. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please leave us a review in iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback.